Hello, I'm Bob Carr, Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome to this ACRI podcast. Today I'm joined by He Bao Gang, who's the Alfred Deakin Professor and Chair of International Relations at Deakin University. Professor He has become widely known for his work on Chinese democratisation and politics. He's also known for his research on Asian politics, covering Asian regionalism. Uh, He's also covered Asian federalism and Asian multiculturalism. And we're going to be talking about Chinese and Australian attitudes towards regionalism and Australian strategies towards the phenomenon of our time, the rise of China. So welcome to the program. Now, Professor Herb, some of your work deals with various challenges to Australia finding its place in Asia or the Asia-Pacific. Can I, can I get you to comment on one aspect of this? And it's uh, something I return to again and again. Do you think there's a little bit of trauma for Australia in finding that it's no longer in a world dominated by British Empire and the US alliance system? Yeah, so this is a really unprecedented challenge for Australia. Australia used to be a part of the British Empire, later on is airline with the United States. Suddenly there's a rise of the China, and its growing power seems unstoppable. So how to deal with this uh, rise of China is, is a really difficult issue for Australia. And there's, a, there's some part of the uh, racial uh, identity issue, but not big. But the bigger issue is the political differences. How do we address the political differences? How a, a democratic country can coexist with this growing, powerful, even become empire? That's a challenge. Yeah, so what thoughts did you have over the last 12 months when you witnessed what I would call a China panic yeah. in the Australian media? Things being said about Chinese students in our universities That's that it, yeah. were simply not true or wildly exaggerated and small incidents um, projected on a big screen. Um, A lot of the commentary got well beyond any evidentiary base. You're right. And and the media was seized with a panic about things Chinese. I agree with you. That's uh, exaggeration, panic. I like the term panic. And... uh, it's, it's, it can't imagine that China have a, a kind of 10,000 <laughs> spy in Australia. That's impossible. But there's an article in the Financial Review that said <laughs> Chinese tourists to Australia yeah. are spies. And it's been implied that Chinese <laughs> students in our universities right, yeah. are spying. The ones I've met are dedicated to getting degrees and getting rich. That's right. So this, this kind of overreaction is uh, it's not good for Australia, but also... It's do damage to the healthy relationship between China and Australia. So that, this is I, I share with you this kind of concern that is currently that uh, Australia tends to securitization of any Chinese activity, even tourism becomes security issue, and the student study becomes security issue. Everything becomes security issue. If you do that, that's really bad. It's nothing to do with security. Many issues nothing to do with security. But there's a tendency. Emphasize this, uh, oh, this might have a security implication. 
or this might have security implications. That's not good, not healthy. But at the same time, China, as a reaction to the Australia, also tends to securitize Australia move. Everything Australia doing, China says, oh, Australia is trying to link with the United States, contain China. So that securitization, ordinary lifestyle issue is really too bad for two countries. So where, where do you look for signs that as China gets richer, there may still be a chance of the middle class, newly enriched, wanting to have more choice in the political system? So this, if we look at this WeChat China, the, uh, being the WeChat different group, the, it's amazing the Chinese the, uh, people really demand their voice to be heard. They express their dissatisfaction, for example, look to turn revision. So many kind of dissatisfaction, even criticism, but they cannot openly. They go back the old way during the Cultural Revolution, use the history. They talk about a lot of historical example. They imply, criticize the current the government policy. If you look at this web chart, immediately you see this growing citizens' uh, demands, a very strong democratic consciousness that exists in China. That's so difficult to, for China to can maintain such a system for a long time. They have to accommodate this rising democratic consciousness on the culture to, to develop certain system. But you, th- you think there will be, or there is, a rising democratic consciousness? It's already China? happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's happened. And uh, penetrate into the everyday life, penetrate people's mind, yeah. scholarly, even official. If you talk about many officials, they're very open. Mm. But now they have a, a, a government censorship. So yeah. Yes, that's an that's a issue. Yeah, I think all the Chinese students studying in overseas universities, they even participate in campus elections that's a, as a, an organised group, yeah, yeah. vying with other that's a, that's political a, parties, that's other a, tickets. That's a, that's a, that's a. Um, and they're seeing how democracy works. Yeah. They have it projected at them all the time on campus, that's let right. alone when they read yeah, yeah. Um, the newspapers. Um, for example, Chinese students, 130,000 of them in Australia, are right now reading critical commentary that's on what true. China's doing with that's the right. removal right. of the two-term limit. That's right. That's right. How's Australia going, from your perspective, in integrating itself with Asia, not just China? Yeah, uh, very important. I agree with you, not only China, but with Asia. This is, uh, I really like <laughs> your emphasis within Asia. And... Uh, so far, the, I, I think Australia really kind of, we, we are half-hearted in trying to integrate with Asia. We're not truly kind of fully devoted, uh, committed to the whole Asia. And yeah. uh, if we look, the, one is the Australian perspective of Asia, the other is the uh, Asian perspective of Australia. So I taught in Singapore several years. In that occasion, I taught taught, give us several lectures in the region, in other countries, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, Myanmar, Philippines, (laughs) Vienna. And one thing that's really shocking, most people don't think Australia is part of Asia. It's common sense for them. 
Yeah, you are not Australian. You are not Asian. No, this is uh, really we needed to do quite a lot of work to do. Yeah, I, I found that, that when I was foreign minister, there were Asian foreign ministers who did regard us as being Asian. I think it was the implicit attitude of the Singaporean. Mm. Uh, certainly the foreign minister of Myanmar said to me, oh, we see you as Asian. I, 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 I'd been very supportive of Myanmar and its aspirations, I must say. And Malaysia. I, I found Malaysia very open to a cordial partnership with Australia. But I, um, I think there's probably a level in which we would never be regarded as a potential member of ASEAN, for example. How do you think... How do you think of the notion that Australia might one day be an ASEAN? Well, actually, it's possible. I discussed this uh, idea with uh, several as a uh, scholar. Mm-hmm. They, they found this idea actually first entertaining, but after a second thought, realistically, in terms of the uh, kind of power relation, they actually welcome Australia to be part of ASEAN because they can strengthen ASEAN as a collective power. And then the, in the context of the big power rivalry between China and the United States, if Australia is a part of ASEAN, that collective power increase, then they can play a more increased role than, than before. So the, I actually, I, I did a, a, a paper a long time ago when I as addressed to the Hume uh, White. I, I, I said Hume White a concert power. He, he makes such a big idea. I said, no, look, you overlook uh, ASEAN is a, is a concept of power. Asian concept of power already happened. If you want to build a concept of power, why should Australia join the ASEAN to strengthen that concept of power? Now, that is, uh, I, I also have some normative perspective. That's a part of uh, democratization of uh, Asian international relations. That is, a make the, give those small middle power more voices in the region, currently dominated either by United States or China. So, uh, so Australia should join, make a great effort <laughs> in that area. Paul Keating w- was very supportive of it. I, uh, I might not have moved quickly enough to have ruled it out. And I got a paper from my department emphatically putting the case Australia should have nothing to do with membership of ASEAN. So there's a deep-rooted Canberra view that this is a bad idea, and I think it is because it would be seen as taking us out of the US embrace and um, committing to a ten-nation association with some partners whom would not be entirely comfortable That's for right. us. Uh, I think there's two issues. It's fascinating. And if Australia can uh, uh, make a long-term policy, now one of the issues, we are all, always criticise Chinese political system as authoritarianism. But we should realize Australia democratic system has own short coming. One of the big weakness weakness, Australia government since cannot produce long term plan, long term policy implement. Two issues with regard as really if China can Australia can success have excess protein imagination, that would do great interest for Australia, but also for ASEAN. One is build the utilize where middle part of the Australia 
turn into the greatest solar power in the world. Then they then the build that solar power with SM, surprise SM power. That's kind of solid connection, power connection with mm. SM. Mm. Second, Australia can utilize vast land, turn it to greatest agricultural land, provide food for the SM. Those two things, you need a really a long-term plan. Yeah. You can develop close relationship with ASEAN, but not this, those relations are more just than kind of regional organized substantive. One is address the food issue, the other just the power issue. Yeah, that's, that's a great concept, and I haven't heard it discussed by anyone else. Can I get your view on the, the notion of a, a quadrilateral? And I should, I should point out that it's not a substantial or serious concept at this stage. It's, it's the notion of representatives of four governments um, meeting in the margins of another summit and not meeting at ministerial level, senior public servants. So there's not much flesh on the bone, but it probably, it probably represents a bit of a signal to China that were China to yeah. become yeah. too assertive in the region, yeah. then this quadrilateral might spring to life. Yeah. There's related to this issue is kind of ideal Indo-Pacific. So Australia and the United States kind of enjoy, kind of in the last a few years, developed the notion of Indo-Pacific related to kind of this idea of the quadrilateral security talk. And uh, that is uh, happen at the big ground strategic level thinking, link the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean together. So the idea is to dilute the Chinese influences. Currently, China dominates Pacific. So if we include in the Indo-Pacific, the Indian Ocean, then the Chinese influence immediately diluted a little bit. So the key idea is diluted. And also work together to deal with the rise of China. So when it comes to this issue, I, I, I think that even this uh, quadrilateral security arrangement, uh, if we go back history, the Kevin Rudd, when he as soon he was sworn in as a prime minister, he ended quadrilateral uh, security talk as a one suggestion to accommodate legitimate security concern by the Beijing. So I don't know whether this quadrilateral kind of security dialogue, how far you can go ahead. In the end of the day, you, at the moment, you just mentioned only public service. But even suppose you move to uh, ministry level, even go to the defense level, the one of the two play, key play, one is the India, is Australia. How much you can really go far, go there? Because that will be China will express a strong opposition. So one of the things I, I, I find is really that Australia so far talking about this big idea but I overlook at something on the ground. So Chinese one bad one is something on the ground. Whatever, they don't care about the big idea. So that's like the $64 billion in Pakistan, kind of about $40 billion in Sri Lanka. So many projects going on. But then Australia so far, you only have kind of this Indo-Pacific, those kind of big ideas. So uh, let's go back to my, my early remark. I think that what you need to do is as the kind of Australia version of 
infrastructure building. The, the one is the solar power. You build solar power. Another is the food industry. Doing something on the concrete uh, as a way to balance against the influence of the China. Rather than just empty uh, uh, talk. China is doing something on the ground. But you, if you just talk, nothing can happen. You change them. You can't change them. Professor, let me put this to you. How do you think Australia-China relations might work might be working in five years' time. Do you think the, the tug of American loyalty and Australia's fear of abandonment, which, which is one of the big elements in our foreign policy, one of, our big elements, one of the big elements in our view of the world, really condemns Australia to Cold War, something yeah, approaching right, Cold War right, with yeah. China? What do, you, what do you think about that proposition? It's, uh, if Australia can go back John Howard's era adopt John Howard's pragmatism. I think Australia can handle China relation pretty well in the next five years. We are, we are lack of pragmatism. We are t- overwhelming uh, by this, driven by this uh, narrow perception of the security. I, I think Australia lacks a set of innovation on those issues. Yeah, we're not very innovative as much but, as we but, invoke but, but, it. But uh, historically, Austria is a great innovation when it comes to regional affairs. I, I, I did a... Uh, yeah, we've lost that, though. Yeah, I, I, that's it's right. It's a long time... It's, to, it's a great pity. But yeah. uh, we need to renew those kind of innovative ideas. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for those thoughts, uh, Baogang. Thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast from Macri. Thank you. Our next episode will feature Barry Lee, author of the book The New Chinese, How They Are Shaping Australia. He'll discuss his new book with ACRI director Bob Carr. You can subscribe to the ACRI podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or listen to all episodes on our website, australiachinarelations.org. There you'll also find out more about ACRI's research and events. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at ACRI underscore UTS, and on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.